Ebbs and the Flows is born through the idea of listening and learning from voices in the mental health space. As such, this episode, as well as the vast majority on this podcast, contains sensitive content around mental health that some listeners may find triggering. If you or someone you know is struggling, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. The Ebbs and the Flows acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation where this podcast is recorded and the contribution of the many Aboriginal artists, musicians, poets and political activists at vital meeting places such as Charcoal Lane down the road from where we record. This is a two-part chat with Pat Kennedy, small business owner, former political staffer and recovering alcoholic. The first part of our conversation focuses on the perils of addiction, taking vulnerable risks in recovery and analysing our societal and cultural ties to legal drugs. It also features a catch-up about footy, coaching and sport and our ties to community places. I learned so much and hope you do too. Mental health is hard. Let's be soft together. Welcome to the Ezra and the Flows, soft chats about hard stuff. We, we've literally been talking for, I would say, 45 minutes. I feel um, like we've yeah. actually done an episode already. Yeah. Um, which is good. Yes. But I also am slightly worried that we'll forget all our gold. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I think it's like it was a Hamish and Andy um, tidbit. They were talking about like when they go to work, yep. obviously they're pros. They've been doing it for years and years. Mm. They just get straight into it. Because yep. if they start talking and yabbering, all the good stuff. Yeah. Will be sapped like but I, yeah. I think i think we can we can, no, we yeah. can find some more gold yeah um but look thank you for having me on yeah. um i have been listening to this uh really important podcast and but i think congratulations are in order thank you uh for your appointment as the third <laughs> thirds coach at the q bears thank you thank you um I spent I spent a year at, at the Bear Cave myself <laughs> and uh, former alumni um, and uh, you know I always actually thought you would you could probably make a better coach than you were a player yeah um, you're a very good player but <laughs> oh, um, I actually think coaching I don't know I feel like you you're someone that would probably enjoy coaching yeah 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 I find coaching particularly and you know I'm coaching the thirds so uh, yeah I know it's a it's a huge uh, milestone after my draft nomination which <laughs> no. Yeah, I pretty much was co-coached last year and I found the thirds is very different to coaching senior footy in terms of even under-19s. You coached Caulfield Grammar, you know, under-19s. It was a very high standard. Yeah. I'm coaching the probably Division 5 thirds. Yeah. But, and even my dad was like, oh, are you sure? I won't quote him exactly what he was saying, but he's like, it's it's a role where you're probably, you're all you are is just rounding up people. I'm yeah. like, no, it's more than that. It's actually like, for me... Yeah. As hopefully a counsellor one day, yeah, I find it's like you're you're working with guys who, and you work with guys no matter what where you're coaching them. But for some reason, the lower grades, I think you're dealing with more self-esteem issues, confidence issues, all these things. Oh, and just guys who are just playing for the to get away from you know difficult uh, work life. So I know that's a really deep looking at it a really deep way. No, but I think yeah. you, I think you're right in the sense that um, sporting clubs are definitely a sort of place where people come to mm. get away yeah. and you're probably going to see these guys in an environment where they can, you know, be themselves. They're away mm. from the stresses of their home life or whatever yeah. it might be. And sometimes like I, like I know from my experience that sometimes you go up to a player, particularly like when I was coaching under 19s and you put mm. your arm around them and you say, Hey, how are you going? Yeah. And like that's led to some very mm. eye-opening discussions that have got nothing to do with football. Yeah. But you know, it's a place they come to three times a week. Mm. Um, it's a it's a regular constant in their lives. Yeah. Um, and some of them, you know, they're not trying to get drafted. They're just a lot yeah. of them may not even like actually playing football. Mm. They just like to be connected to others. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, the role of the coach mm. doesn't matter what the level is. But I think you're right. I think the lower you get and the less it is serious the football is yeah yeah maybe in a sense the more serious the personal stuff is yeah um and yeah. the thirds like i would imagine you get you get you get probably the 45 year old yeah that should have retired seven years ago that's going around again oh. and the 18 year old who just wants to have a kick yeah um you get the whole the whole range absolutely yeah. absolutely and and yeah even from last year 
the longer that I've gone trying to avoid being like a footy nuffy, the more I've come full circle and I realize I'm just a footy nuffy. Like yeah. I just, it runs in my blood. Mm. Like it's powerful. And I wanted to get away from that for, so, for a long time. I know we've spoken about this beforehand and it's funny like um mentioning that year that you were assistant coach so you came to q mm. uh in 2017 and this is not what i was i've got other questions i'll ask yeah, you sure. but um it's just really interesting that year was so significant i think for both of us off yes. the field yes um and that year was so shit for the club <laughs> <laughs> it was um yeah. I, 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 feel, I feel like we were like the Gold Coast Suns that year. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. necessarily Gold Coast Suns winning, but <laughs> Gold Coast Suns in their early days. And um, uh, my, my instant reflections of that year was personally I was in a world of pain mm. and um, I don't even know why I was coaching really. Yeah. It was one of those things I just thought I had to be doing. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I remember from that year was that everything was just not well at the club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not really the fault of any in particular person. It was just that mm. the club was going through a massive transition. Yeah. We lost good players. Yeah. Um, it was just one of those years. Um, yeah. It was a very kind of amateur footy kind of year. Mm. Like it was just changes afoot, um, yeah. changes everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, um, <laughs> but I, you know, it stands out cause I probably learned more about myself as a coach than anything. Yeah. But I also learnt how much I needed to put myself first and oh, my own yeah. welfare first. Mm. And I didn't do that that year. Yeah. And it was like horrendous. Yeah, yeah. Just to give some context, this is Q Football Club um, 2017. I, I had been in London for a year before that. Um, I'd come home for, you know, purely mental health reasons. Um, and the reason, like one of the big factors of me coming home was like, I just can't wait to play footy again. And I think... Um, you, you want to come home and be like, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm out of that environment. Mm. But it's not like that at all. And, um, you know, as you would know, like the the time it takes to, to heal um, from a really traumatic, you know, personal event and a prolonged, for me, prolonged, which is quite similar to, to you. I think I speak, we've got a lot of parallels, I suppose, in yeah. that. And um, anyway, very, very briefly, we're at Q Football Club. You came along as an assistant coach with... Uh, um, the senior coach who came took over from a very big figure, dominant figure, big figure, like bigger than the football club almost, yeah. like a cult of personality, really. Yeah, very successful, but also um, he was a good uh, coach. He was a very good coach. He was a good excellent coach. coach, but just had a really like a huge, like almost like a a cloud um, after he left. Yeah, a cloud was still there of like this is still his club. Well, man, um, man, yeah. man, the bloke that came. To the club we actually more referred to it as a fog than anything that's a good yeah that's um, <laughs> yes. and um you know we um look i think he was someone that had a presence even when he wasn't present yeah and definitely. um and i think and every club's got him um i think i think i i hear it always referred to as the messiah complex yeah you know you have that person that has galvanized a club for such a long period of time and when they leave there's like a what do we do now yeah but there's a vacuum mm. um so you know that was a that was a point but I, look i remember you know the the interesting thing is about that year is that i think about it regularly yeah um and as a result i think about you regularly mm. because that year i remember um coming into contact with you on a regular basis and actually seeing your mental health struggles mm. quite uh, in, a, in a quite a confronting sense. Yep. One thing I remember about you was that um, after games, mm. um, not every game, but there were some games where we would come off the ground and you would go to a, a toilet cubicle and yeah. just cry. Mm. And, um, and I remember sometimes we'd go in there to check on you and I was so... I was so lost as to what mm. was you were experiencing. I knew what I was experiencing at the time. Yeah. And that was, I couldn't stop fucking drinking alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what I was experiencing. Yeah. So I was experiencing the, that form of addiction and mm. powerlessness, Yeah, but I didn't know what you were experiencing mm. and, and, and seeing the way that kind of you would break down like that. And then you'd sort of be fine again yeah. and you get sort of moving again and you're quite resilient in that sense. And then, um, we were chatting before about that infamous, <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that, that, yeah. that big day um, oh, yeah. when you were in a suit yes. um, <laughs> yeah. and talked about all sorts of things before the game. And it was such yeah. an awesome experience to be there. Mm. But at the same time, 
Very weird. <laughs> <laughs> Again, to give some context, uh, that was it was we had this round every year at Q, the Danny Delbridge round, and shout out to Jack, um, Will, Rhonda, etc. Uh, Tom, um, their father passed away, had voted neurone disease. It was incredibly sad, obviously, yep. um, and he was a big part of the club. Every year they have a charity day, and this year they decided twenty seventeen they decided to have. Um, a Beyond Blue fundraiser. Yeah. And I think someone else spoke before me. <laughs> yeah. And then I spoke. And yeah. all my teammates were there. I've been picked. Thank, you know, I actually have to say thank you because I was playing pretty ordinary footy in the twos. <laughs> and you guys said, we're going to pick you for this game. Yeah. The symbolism is not lost, was not lost on me. And yeah. I'm still to this day, I'm like, thank you because yeah. we got pumped by Caulfield. Mm-hmm. They were the best side by, I think they got, anyway, they got beaten in the grand final, but they were the best side clearly that year. Before the game, we had a lunch and a woman spoke before me and then I spoke yeah. and all my teammates were there, my family, and <laughs> it was just stuff that I've been sitting on for a long time and I basically dumped it on the audience. Mm. Um, it's still one of the most important moments of my life because my mum, my sister were in the room, actually still affects me now because it was really, really powerful. Yep. At the same time, it was quite bizarre because we were about to play a senior game of football, yep. um, 2 p.m. Yep. And uh, we hadn't won a game. <laughs> you know, it was a big game. It was a huge game. I mean, every game is big when you're not winning. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were playing Caulfield. Incidentally, the club that I would go to next. Yeah. Wow. Um, but we were playing Caulfield at, at the Bear Cave. Yeah. We hadn't won. We had a pretty good side in. Mm. Um, I think we even from memory had a couple of VFL that had cut players that had come back. Yeah. So we were in like, that's right. Yes. You know, we were, we were, I don't know if we were a chance to win, but we, yeah. we were in good shape yes. in terms of our yeah. team. Yeah. And, um, but it was, it was weird. And I say that like with love because mm. it was like, we're all pumped to yeah. get into this physical <laughs> um, bout. Yeah. And yet we've got to take a, full 10 minutes here <laughs> yeah. to absorb some really emotional mm. vulnerable yeah. stuff yeah and the whole time i'm, I'm standing there going this is <clears throat> awesome yeah but it's such a strange setting yeah. for this to be happening and then i remember you finished you know you dropped you did a mic drop and it was like and we all our players and coaches we went out onto the ground yeah and you got into a little huddle and we're all going shit like what what was that was that was something. And we were in kind of like a state of, not disbelief, but we were just silent for a bit. Yeah. Because I think, you know, when not everyone is used to hearing that. That's right. That yeah. kind of vulnerability. And mm. like, kudos to you. Like, it was so brave. Yeah. Like, sometimes you know the audience that you have mm-hmm. and it makes it easier to talk about this stuff. Like, yes. I know that if I go to an AA meeting yes. to talk about my recovery from alcoholism, I'm pretty chilled about that because mm. I know it's the audience. They want to hear it. The, that audience that day was a, was a loving audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was yeah. footy dads and footy mums and yeah. it was a players there, a, a, you know, staff at the club, your Having family. champagnes. Yeah, champagnes and beers. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember you in the grey suit got up there. <laughs> you got up there and you had the, the – I remember oh. you read from the paper and you were getting – you were so fired up. Yeah. And it was so cool. At the end of the day, we're all just a work in progress. This is The Ebbs and the Flows. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Pity we didn't win. <laughs> I know, I know. I remember well, during that game, I played on a guy, um, doesn't matter about his name. Yep. He kicked five goals that game. Yep. And I played on him and I was, at one point he was having a go on me and getting right into me. And I'm like, he said something to me and I just went, I just made a speech about my mental health. This is the best day ever. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah. and I was like, I don't know why. I just like, I, I did care. And I think I probably cried after that game. It was a hugely emotional day for me. Yeah. Um, just because I, and it is interesting that you note that. And it's yeah. interesting that we've crossed paths and you brought that up. Yeah. Because it's kind of flashing back to me that year. I don't know what set off. I think it was playing footy. It's obviously an emotional game. I was dealing with a lot of emotions. Yeah. And it would just boil over sometimes. And I, I'd be, I think, yeah. yeah, I mean, mm. I think you probably had one of those experiences where, and I only, I, I only say this because I had the same one, is yeah. that you sit with all this shit for so long. Oh, man. And it's like, mm. you st- and all you know is how to cope with it all. Yeah. You just cope, cope, cope. And then one day you take that, 
vulnerable risk. Yeah. And it, all of a sudden, you realize that the stuff you'd been carrying mm. actually isn't going to kill you. Yeah. People aren't going to think less of you. Yeah. And then it's like, holy shit, maybe like I can actually be in the world mm. with this stuff. It's, yeah. actually, it's actually not going to kill me. God. It could actually be fine. And I, I know the same thing. Like I remember yeah. thinking, I'll take this to the grave. Yeah. This, this, this problem I have. I will never tell a soul because it's just too much. And then like for, for me, when I was like, I got to rehab and I spent three months in rehab and I started talking and then it was like, I realized, oh, okay. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm addicted to alcohol. Once mm. I start drinking, I can't stop. Yeah. It's having negative impact on my mental health, my physical health, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Mm. I'm still here. Mm. People, you know, are happy to listen and they're happy to support. Yeah. People aren't going to think of me any differently. Maybe, maybe this is, this is okay. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that relief can be um, really powerful for someone um, mm. in recovery. Because then, then I think it means that recovery is possible. Yeah. Like it's actually... For sure. The barrier that you thought was there is is not there anymore. Yeah. God, that... Yeah. It just resonates so much with me. Um, and it's funny because I actually remember... And sorry to relate this to myself, but um, social media... We haven't seen each other for years. Yeah. Um, but on social media, I know we've had a few like um, exchanges. Yeah. One, I think I wrote a piece about like my ode to alcohol and yep. I've struggled with alcohol too. I still struggle with alcohol. Yep. Um, uh, I don't know if I'd call myself an alcoholic, but that's, you know, it's, yep. a, it's a coping mechanism. Sure. I, I know that. I'm sure you went through the same thing. Not, I mean, I don't know if it was exactly the same thing, but when I was in rehab, I had to yep. write a letter ah. to alcohol. Yeah, right. And I had to talk about, Fuck. it was one of those things that like when they said, oh, you got to write a letter to your addiction. Mm. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't know. This will be a wasted exercise like yeah. you know cynical this is not going to work and then i started writing this letter and i realized that it was like a love letter because wow. i was saying goodbye to something that had for a period of time served me quite well mm. you know i'll never forget the best feelings of alcohol yeah. oh god yeah. lit, lit me up made me feel okay yeah took my anxieties away took my fears away beautiful love it God. I'd still be using it if it was still working. <laughs> That's right. Do you know what That's I mean? Right. I, oh, one hundred percent. And then it stopped working, mm. and it became a really abusive, painful mm. relationship that I had to get out of. Wow. So then I wrote this letter, and I realised that you know the good and the bad. I realised, yeah, shit, you actually did help me so much mm. for a period of time there, but then you turned on me, and then yeah. you, and then you became my worst enemy. Yeah. Um, but that. You know, and I've got no doubt that someone like you who's creative and likes to write, mm. that experience is like that cathartic experience of getting it on paper. Oh. I remember sitting at my desk and I was late to my next group session because we had to bring the letters to the group. And I was like 15 minutes late. I was just sitting at my desk going, shit, I didn't realize how how deeply I actually felt about this thing. Yeah, wow. You know, that doesn't even talk. It doesn't even have <sighs> actions. But, you know, yeah. as a coping mechanism, I was I was deeply in love with it. Yeah. Um, it was probably in many respects, like it was a genuine love because, and again, this, this stuff is not stuff I thought about while I was drinking, but the amount of times I gave alcohol the benefit of the doubt, it was, it was like an abusive relationship. Like everyone around me could say, mate, you realize that alcohol is kicking the shit out of you yeah, yeah. and beating you up emotionally, physically, like it's not having mm. any positive, effect. but there I was going, oh no, you know. I don't think alcohol's the problem. You know, I, I would think about anything else other than the elephant in the room. And I think I'd be like, oh no, alcohol's not the problem. It's, you know, it's this, yeah. it's that, it's that. Yeah. Alcohol is always the problem. Yeah. Um, but I continued to give it the benefit of the doubt. Mm. And how much is it? Because I think I was actually going to ask you a question later on. The structure of this is sort of going out the window for now. We'll come back to it. It's all right. Yep. Um, how much do you think for a person you know, accepting they've got a problem like you did with alcohol. Um, and a lot of people have to accept they've got a problem. And, you know, I've spoken to my psychologist about, she's like, I think the reason you drink and do all these things and even drink coffee is because you're searching for a high. That really isn't reality, but you felt that. You did feel that, say, after a grand final, the best moments of your life, you're drinking, it's with you there. Or, you know, you're losing your virginity, you know, things like that. You're losing your virginity and you're drunk, you know, like all these things that are attached to alcohol. I suppose the question is, how much is it about individual responsibility versus say, um, cultural, systemic norms that are probably almost more powerful than us? I think Australia and the UK and the United States, if yeah. you look at those three countries, mm. 
it's not easy to get sober yeah. in um, because, and let's take the Australian example. Yeah, alcohol is celebrated. Yeah. It's just celebrated. Oh, it's yeah. worshipped. Mm. Um, some of the advertising that exists on billboards, on TV, yeah. um, is all to do with um, alcohol is, is associated with good things, positive things, not bad things. Yeah. Uh, it's a rite of passage to have your first beer, mm. usually probably underage. Yeah. It's not, it's not considered a, it's not considered an immoral thing or it's just, it's what you do. My yeah. first beer was when I was 13 or 14. Yeah. And yeah. My sister's 18th. And it was funny because I was, I couldn't work out how to handle being on alcohol. Like <laughs> yeah. that's, yeah. that's objectively quite funny. Yeah. Um, but for someone who, for someone like me that used alcohol in a way that other people don't use alcohol, which mm. was as a coping mechanism yeah. and, and then, but this is where you and I might be different and someone listening to this might be going, yeah, am I an alcoholic? And, you know, interesting fact, fact I, I heard recently that the phrase, how do I know I'm an alcoholic mm. is like the, what in the top five Googled phrases like of all time behind <laughs> yeah. what happens after you die and yeah. all the other classic ones, because it's an interesting question. What defines an alcoholic? Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, it's very simple. If mm. I start, I can't stop. Yeah. And I don't want to have one. I need to have a hundred. Yeah. Um, right. And if, and if as clear as anything, if I have the hundredth and I'm still awake, I'll be looking for the hundred and first. Wow. And so the, the is, a, it's a disease that is centered in the mind. Yeah. Um, and so when someone would say to me, you know, Oh, how do I know? Well, I'd say, well, look, have you ever set yourself a target? Have you ever said to yourself, I'm going to have five or six beers and stop. And then you haven't been able to, mm. Uh, that's a, usually a telltale sign. Yeah. Um, if you're hiding your drinking, classic. Mm. If you're lying about how much you're drinking, classic. Yeah. Um, but above all, if alcohol is not letting you live a life that you want to live, mm. that's that's only a question that an individual can answer. Yeah. Is it holding you back? Is it mm. is it stopping you from from being present and happy in relationships is it stop you know there's a God, yeah. you know, lots of stuff you can you can throw at this thing yeah. i've met a whole gamut of people yeah whose drinking looks different yeah from, for the next yeah, person absolutely i've yeah. met day drinkers i've met people that you know were drinking hand sanitizer because it was it was all that was available like wow. it, it doesn't it doesn't actually matter what it looks like mm. it is all about the thinking and what is actually going on upstairs yeah, right um but being in this society is um it's weird yeah it's really weird because um you know my family drink um i don't know if i would consider them big drinkers but they love a glass of wine yeah they love to um have wine with dinner and things like that and you know, I'd be in, the, in their company and there'd be a part of me that would often feel that level of discomfort. Mm. But, you know, I, I've learned that discomfort actually isn't something you have to worry about. Yeah. It's just part of the human condition. <laughs> like if you feel uncomfortable, great. You're yeah. not going to feel like that forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can leave that situation and not feel uncomfortable. Mm. Like it doesn't have to be yeah. a thing that you need to define you at that point in time. God. Um, but yeah. sometimes like... I have like particularly people who are in the early stages of their sobriety, as you can imagine, like I meet a lot of those people and talk about mm. my experience to help them. Yeah. And they often talk about how um, they went to a dinner recently and they didn't drink and everyone else was drinking. And they had this feeling that came over them as they were leaving. And I said, yeah, it's like you have a superpower wow. to actually go to an event where everyone is drinking and you're not. And to get through that event and feel okay, that's incredible. God, like yeah. that really is incredible considering you probably have been drinking in those occasions for a mm. long, long period of time and yeah. you just didn't. Like mm. that's that's pretty cool um, to stay present and sober in a group of people that are drinking heavily. Yeah. Like that's, that's a superpower as far as I'm concerned. Does it make people you're with, uh, have there been instances, I know a lot of, uh, people who are sober have mentioned how some people feel uncomfortable being with someone who's sober because maybe it brings up questions of their own mm. or it's just like, I remember the old Pat, we'd be 12 beers down and mm. going to, you know, a nightclub or whatever. Like, are there people that you've seen of like a visceral discomfort in talking about your sobriety? No, no, I haven't um, because... Uh, I've never met one person that, that wishes I was drinking still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, like I'm like I don't. I'm I'm racking my brains. I, I um, my best mate um, 
saw a lot of my drinking. Mm. Um, I didn't have many friends when I was drinking bar me. Yeah, like yeah. I, um, I was a pretty isolated person. I mm. really struggled to make and keep friendships while I was drinking. So connection was the thing that went out the window when I drank. Yeah. So there's not a huge amount of people that saw me, um, drinking and if they did i think they would have thought that i was pretty obnoxious opinionated uh <laughs> yes I, yeah, yeah right wing um yeah, yeah. you know all sorts of things yeah. and I, I don't think i don't i've never met someone that says oh, i would love to see that person again yeah you know, they don't because wow. and and so that's as great a confirmation that i've made the right call hmm. um and i think if someone is uncomfortable that you're not drinking with them uh, like you alluded to, that is their stuff. That's their stuff, right? Hundred yeah. percent, mm. because it probably indicates that they're not comfortable not drinking. Yeah, and then there are all sorts of questions that they can ask themselves mm. from that point onwards. I love being around people that are sober. It's yeah. the, it's honestly it, it is so peaceful because I know that what I'm getting from them is them. Wow, it's not a bravado. It's not they're not going to lie to me. They're not going to talk. You know, I don't mind putting a bit of mayonnaise on a few stories here and there, but they're not <laughs> yeah. going to be so exuberant and not themselves. Yeah. You know, people who are sober that are socializing are themselves. Yeah. And the conversations are at this really nice, even level. Mm-hmm. And there's no big ups. There's no big down. There aren't people competing for who's going to be the funniest wow, or who's yeah. going to tell the most. Yes, who's, yes. You know, there's not that crap that goes on. Yeah. It's a really even, mm-hmm. peaceful. It might not be euphoric. And it might not be, uh, it might not go till seven in the morning, um, but it will be something that you will remember. Yeah. You know, and like that's, that doesn't get old, has not got old for me. Mm. The idea of actually seeing someone and remembering the exchange days, weeks later. Yeah, right. Like that's, that's awesome. That's so, so cool. yeah. um, there's downsides, obviously. Um, some days I would love to have a drink. Yeah. And I've got, I've got no problem saying that. There are, there are days where, I would love to put something down my throat that instantly gives me some relief and mm. comfort. Yeah. But you know what? Like there's other things I can do to get that. Yeah. So self-soothing uh, is a big part of what we learn in recovery. Okay. Yeah. You talk about um, recovery, obviously, AA. I-, I went to one session in London. Yep. And I only went because I was, you know, my problems were far bigger than having a few beers. My problems were like, you know, I, yeah, I'll be quite frank. I was suicidal, you know, like, yeah, which is, you know, it's hard. It's hard to think back on that, how I was so low. Anyway, I was at this session and I remember I was explaining why, and this is, this comes back to our, all, all our experiences are so different. I was explaining, I'm like, they knew me as this guy on the piss. Yep. Um, you know, life of the party, um, always running things and, you know, getting things going. And so when I'm talking to these people about my relationship with alcohol, the, the ugly side of it, yep. um, an incredible community. And I only went once and I got a few numbers and I got a few calls. And I, I bet feel, you did. I know. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we do. We, yeah. we, we give strangers our numbers. That's right. And I, I feel bad, but I never really replied because I just, I wasn't yep. ready. I wasn't ready. Yeah. But some of the stories I heard in AA and, you know, it doesn't matter who they were, but as you said, people who were drinking, you know, someone who'd gone through seven, um, not seven liver transplants, but something like that. Yeah, yeah. Seven total breakdowns of their internal systems because of their disease that yeah. they had. Um, and I found that really confronting, but also... Um, how are you still standing? Yeah, how are you still standing? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah, what, what made you firstly um, go to AA, make that choice? And I know it must be like a huge thing for you to go, I really need help here. Yeah. I don't think... There wouldn't be many people who could go... I'm quitting, you know. Um, well, I didn't either. That's, yeah. that's the thing. I, I, um, I fought mm. tooth and nail not to be an alcoholic. Wow. It was yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, of course, it, yeah. it, it signified a a death sentence. Mm. Ironically enough, getting sober was a death sentence. Wow. Continuing drinking was good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's right. the death sentence was getting sober. Yeah. Um, no, I went to AA for the first time in 2018. Um, so I was after that infamous 2017 season and I was, yeah. I was drinking daily. Um, I was, I was in all sorts and mm. I went to a meeting, had the same experience that you had. Uh, I was just blown away by the things I heard. Yeah. We often in the rooms 
talk about this notion of newcomers spotting the differences and not the similarities because there's a pull for a newcomer to not be there. So okay. they want to fixate on the stuff that they don't relate to. Right. So then they can go back to their loved ones who's probably driven them to the meeting. Yes. And say, yeah. oh, no, no, I'm all good. I'm not that bad. No. You know, there are people much worse. Yeah. yeah, right. So I did the same thing. I, yeah. I, I rocked up and I heard people talk about uh, divorce, uh, losing their home, losing mm. their assets, mm. going bankrupt. And I was fixating on all this stuff that hadn't happened to me. Yeah. So I could go back to my partner at the time or mum and dad or whoever it was and just say, no, look, you know, I've got, I've got a bit of a problem with alcohol, but not to the level that I've just been hearing about. What I failed to tell them though, mm. was that what I did identify with was what people said about their state of mind when they were sober. Yeah. And they said that when they were sober, they felt um, restless, irritable and discontent. Mm. And when I heard that, I thought, that is the first time I've actually heard the words mm. to describe what is going on in here. Yeah, right. The first time I've ever heard them. And, and it, it, you know, like you've, you've probably had these kind of bang moments in your own mm. journey and recovery. That was yeah. a big one for me because I was like, holy shit, that's mm. exactly my state of mind right now. Yeah. But I didn't say that to anyone. I was just concentrating on the drinking and what it looked like and mm-hmm. things like that. And then three years went by where my drinking got progressively even worse. I thought it couldn't get any worse, and Mm. it does. And this is the most important thing about the disease of alcoholism, I think, is that the way it starts is not the way it will look at the end. Mm. And if you identify as being an alcoholic, you're not going to ever improve your drinking. (laughs) So it's it's, you cross a line. Mm. We call it like a little invisible line. And you cross it, you don't get to go back Mm. to when... Because my drinking hasn't looked the way it looked at the end forever. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. a period of time where I would just drink on the weekends. Mm. Binge drink, go out, and then come Monday, I could kind of function again. Oh, yeah. But the way it looked at the end was not that. And if I was to ever return to drinking, and touch wood day to time, I never do. But if I was to ever return to drinking, it would kick off where it yeah. was left off. And it would probably get 10% worse. Wow. So going to AA was... Um, through a rehab mm. the second time around. I went okay. to rehab for three months. and Where did you go to rehab? So um, I went to a rehab called Refocus. Okay. Refocus was, um, I would say, one of the more well-known rehabs based in St. Kilda. It was previously in Turak, moved to St. Kilda. Uh-huh. It then went through a managerial change. Yep. Uh, and now it goes, well, it's not the same thing, but it's there's a rehab now called Windsor House, which is... Um, okay. In Windsor, yeah, <laughs> uh, and and follows a similar program. Yeah, uh, it's a twelve step rehab, mm. which is very important for me at least. That is a twelve step rehab, and that meant that it loosely followed the traditions uh, and the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and right. Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah, yeah. And part of that weekly thing was to go to meetings. We go to a meeting every day, whether AA or NA didn't didn't matter. We go to a meeting, mm. get in the little what we call the druggy bus. And we, as a group, go to a meeting and we'd share, we'd, you know, we'd get up and say we're however many days sober and everyone mm. would give us a clap and then we'd yeah. chat. Beautiful. It's a great thing to experience. And, um, and that's how I got back into it. So then when I got out of rehab, I, um, I got a sponsor and I started doing the 12 steps of AA. I was living in Windsor, still am. And so okay. started just to find meetings that were local to me mm. and, just started going regularly eventually to the point where AA now for me is like a footy club. It's like a sporting club. Right. Um, I don't necessarily go because I'm, I'm desperate and I'm in pain. I go because I'm a member of AA. It's like, why do you go to training? I'm a member of the team. Yeah. Uh, Why do you go? Why do you go to the the function room? Part of the club. Yeah. You, you you go to the club rooms at Q Bears because you're Will Barm and, you're yeah. a Q Bears man. Yeah, you know, like, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I go to, I go to AA meetings because, um, you know, I'm you're an alcoholic. Pat Kennedy, you're I'm, an AA man. And I'm an AA man. That's right. I'm a, I'm an, I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Wow. And that's what I do to, wow. to recover from, from this thing. Mm. Uh, so it's, you know, early days, it feels like this really dramatic thing to be doing, going yeah. to AA. Mm. And then after a period of time, it feels as normal and as 
just an extension of your life yeah, wow. to just rock up to the thing that helps you. Right. Uh, so how many, how many times a week would you go now or how many times a month? Uh, it sort of depends a bit. I, um, I, I don't like to do less than four meetings a week. Wow. That kind of keeps me, um, keeps my head straight. Um, others do more, others do less. Um, some people, because recovery is not linear Mm. and I would say that, um, you quit drinking, things do get better quickly. But then there's all this shit that you've still got to um, yeah. work on because because yeah. now life is actually happening for you. That's right. Yeah. So then there's like a I've met people who are ten plus years sober. Mm. Uh, they might have a relationship breakdown. They yeah. might uh, have a career pivot, and it's all of a sudden, some stress and anxiety starts to build. And they will smash meetings like no tomorrow. Yeah, they might yeah. do 90 meetings in 90 days wow. just to really get themselves back in on track. Mm. Um, it's not because they feel like having a drink. Yeah. And I have not had a compulsion or desire to have a drink for a couple of years now. Yeah. But if I feel that life is getting a little bit unmanageable yeah. and I'm starting to get affected by two massive pests in recovery and that's hurry and indecision if those two things are creeping then the best place i need to be is in a meeting Mm. um hurry and indecision mm. could you break that down a little bit what's so you know like i mentioned before like so you know an alcoholic who is drinking and even an alcoholic in recovery those feelings of being discontent yeah unsatisfied unfulfilled um all this sort of stuff can lead to things that like I think that I've got to do things really quickly and I've got to do it now. Yeah. Um, one thing that comes up for me, you know, as you know, like I 10 months ago started my own business. Yeah. And that has not been linear because it's a small business and it's mm. in its first year. And I hate the fact that I, it's not making as much money as I want it to be making. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. at the same time, I understand why that's the case. And yeah. I understand that business don't necessarily profit straight out of the gate. And mm. Yeah, and I get that, but this part of me goes, but I want more and I want it now uh-huh. and yeah. there's hurry. So then I yeah. start going, shit, maybe I have to do this differently and that differently and that differently. Yeah, yeah. And then that brings on the indecision because mm. then I've got 10 things in the air that I want to do differently right. and yeah. I can't do any of them because <laughs> I'm, I might not have the infrastructure or I yeah. might not be able to. Mm. And that can lead me into a place of feeling a bit disillusioned. Like, yeah. oh shit, I can't do anything. Now I'm going to fill that hole. Yeah. So that's hurry and indecision. Right. And then AA then goes, or my sponsor or a friend from the program will go, hey, mate, let's just worry about today. Yeah. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about what the future looks like. Don't worry about whether you've got to pay a staff member more, whether you need another thing. Don't worry about that. Yeah. That stuff will work itself out mm. because it has to this point. Like yeah. The yeah. things that I've been anxious and worried about, mm. generally speaking, have kind of they've just kind of worked themselves out. Yeah, gotcha. And I haven't gotcha. had to put my control on them or mm. like pressure myself into making a snap decision. Yeah, on it, right. You know, right, so, right. so AA's, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, amazing place. Like yeah. I can't even, I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to drum it up because I don't need to. It's, yeah. you know, we talk about it's attraction, not promotion. Mm. Um, AA doesn't promote, it doesn't, um, it's not, it's not, it's not profitable. Yeah. Um, the, the, the only way that I can talk about AA is by talking about my own experience. And I guess my hope with that is that someone who might have been in my position two and a half years ago can listen to it and say, this guy sounds like he's reasonably happy. Yeah. He's not drinking. Maybe I'll do what he did and yeah, yeah. I can have the same experience because mm. that's exactly what happened for me. Yeah. I saw someone in a meeting. I thought he looked happy and at peace. He wasn't drinking. I walked up to him. I said, can you be my sponsor? He said, yes. Took me through the steps. And now I like to think that I have the same kind of happiness and peace that he has. Wow. It's a very, it's, it's boringly simple. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it, And it really is amazing yeah. how many people think that like, it must be this really complicated exercise to quit drinking. It's mm. got to be, you've got to do this and you've got to, there's got to be like, you got to have rosary beads and you've got to be, you know, doing all these superstitions and you've got to be sleeping on this side of the bed and that, yeah, and yeah. it's, you know, maybe some people recover in different ways, yeah. 
But I know for me, it's been painfully boring. Yeah, right. In what right. and how it's worked. Right. Yeah. It's funny because um, I mentioned this to you before. Like I worked up in the top end um, WA for a little bit, and um, living there in such a simple environment in terms of like you went to work. There wasn't much in the town. You went to the pool, maybe the gym. Um, you socialized a little bit, but mainly you were just stuck with your own thoughts. And for me, it was a really simple time. It was boring. At times, it was so boring. I, I loved the work. That was exciting. But sometimes, just like the downtime was really boring. And I think it just forced me to actually go, you know, reassess like what's going on in my life. And that's why I found coming back to Melbourne quite tricky um, because I'm like, there's so much in Melbourne. Like, and the stuff that I know is detrimental to my, um, my health, my well-being, that sort of thing, um, comes back at me. You know what I mean? Up there, yeah, probably too much caffeine, yep. but no alcohol. Um, so, but it's just, it's interesting that I was like, that simplicity, that boring simplicity was really helpful for me in those times just to like recenter, I suppose. I, um, I absolutely resonate with that. And in particular... I had a really guilty thought during COVID. Yeah. Super guilty. But I expressed it to other people who also had the same feeling. I didn't hate the lockdown sometimes. Oh, yes. I yeah. didn't, I, you know, they weren't great and I would never want them again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, yes. I will put that on the record. I yes. don't want yes. to ever have ex- <laughs> experience that again. However, mm. for someone like me, the simplicity of the day-to-day mm. was kind of all right. Yeah. I didn't mind it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. We all had our different COVID experiences, but yeah. I, I think I noticed something in people during COVID. I feel like, I don't know, at least maybe where I was, mm. people were seeing each other differently for the first time. Yeah. I think maybe people were seeing each other for, for who they were and as humans all going through the same thing. It's quite rare yeah. That everyone from every walk of life can be experiencing the same thing at once. Yeah, definitely. Like that kind of, definitely. we've all got the same curfews. Yeah. We can all exercise for one hour. We're all indoors. We're all working from home. We're all on Zoom. We're all doing this. We're all doing this. Yeah. It's very rare that like we can have so much in common with so many people at once. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, having said that, no, I would never want to be locked. <laughs> I would never want to lock down again. But yeah. I get what you're saying about mm. things slowing down. Yeah feels great sometimes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I often like think about those those things you see like in movies, like those establishing shots. Yeah. Like let's take like a classic New York rom-com and you get that that landscape of New York City and there's mm. just cars everywhere and people moving. Absolutely. I look at yeah. that, I, I already feel like, <laughs> I, right. I, I look at it, I already yeah. feel like anxious, like yeah, yeah, yeah. being in that kind of, that mode. Yeah. Uh, and I think for people like you and me, we're just like, mm. when there's some calm mm. and slowness, yeah. it um, it feels like we're in a sweet spot. Yeah, I definitely felt the same as you. I remember my colleague, Sue, Susie, uh, she won't mind me saying this. She probably doesn't listen. No, she, no, she may listen. Um, <laughs> we were at school and school was all over the place. Well, obviously, I'm a teacher and it was all over the place. Like the girls we were teaching were, you know, frazzled because they knew what was coming. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the second or third time that there was, it was on TV. Dan Andrews was like, da 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 snap lockdown. We looked at each other and we were like, cheeky little one week lockdown. <laughs> Sadly, it led to like 71 or 61 days or whatever it was. Yeah, it so wasn't, wasn't one week. It, yeah, that's right. One week we were like, just to have one week where we can just- Reset, recharge. Because it was such a frantic time. Mm. I just wanted to go back to 2017 and you, you mentioned, I, I have a vivid memory of us after old Geelong, um, we played, we got smashed 130 points, George Burberry kicked five goals. Mm. It was a big Como ground. We got, uh, uh, it's disgraceful. Anyway, yeah. I vividly remember, I don't know if you were actively doing this, but we sat together quite, both quietly. I think we were both drinking. Yeah. Both probably in the midst of, you our know, shit. Our yep. shit. Yeah. yeah. And there was a conversation that was there, but yep. wasn't. We didn't have it. 
I, we lined up at the end of the game. Yes, because it was the um, thick and thin round. Thick and thin round, <laughs> yeah. Which I had organised. Yeah. Uh, I'd been part of that. And at the end of the game, I was like, guys, can we get a photo? I remember yeah. one of my teammates, Max, who's an incredibly competitive guy, yeah. was like, it took a bit for all of us to do that photo. It did, yeah. And we're all smiling at that photo. We'd just been beaten by 120 points. Yeah, it was horrendous. Horrendous. Um, um, but yeah, I just remember that day, remembering you. Yep. I don't know, I sense there was a sadness or something yep. within you. And probably that was because I was empathizing with you, but we didn't have that conversation. Yeah, I, I don't think, I think that's probably true. I think there were probably, I think people like us and anyone, we, we're always looking for, I think what was definitely going on at the time was, mm. you know, I was... Yeah, I was not in a good way. Like, mm. But the thing is, like, I think we're always looking for these opportunities where we can unburden ourselves a little bit. Absolutely. But sometimes yeah. if you're like me at that point in time that couldn't actually put words to mm. my feelings. Yeah. Well, even though as much as I wanted to relieve, relieve myself yeah. and give myself some relief from sharing a thought with someone else, I just didn't have it in me because mm. I didn't have the words. Yeah. Um, and that's a really tough place for someone to be in yeah whether they're regardless of what they're going through a mental health addiction finding the words is the hardest part yeah the first time i ever told my parents that i had was having problems with alcohol i had to write it down mm. literally had to write it down on paper problems with alcohol like not because i'm can't speak but i couldn't actually get the words out yeah, you know yeah. like I yeah couldn't, and it's just like that when you were doing that in your grey suit, you know, like <laughs> yes. it, 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 there comes a moment when you finally do find your words. Mm. And when you find your words, you just want to shout it from the rooftops. Mm. Like, and I'm probably a little bit the same. Like I, I was joking with another member from AA recently and I said, you know, how do you know that PK's in AA? Don't worry, he'll tell you. <laughs> like I, I think now that we, we have found our words – I'll, I'll want to let everyone know Love because that. it's like yeah. it's like I'm finally free mm. and I can talk about this stuff because I am removed from God. the jail of what yeah. I was in. Mm. So that time at Geelong, yeah, I was probably yeah, I was probably just yeah, I was just sad. Mm. I was probably sad that George Burberry kicked five goals. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In <laughs> the first you know, half. Do you know what? Because yeah. the thing that used to really shit me about every game was that my role was to do opposition stuff. Yeah. So I would go to town on the opposition. He does this, he does this. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's do this. And I have all these plans. Yeah. But the reality was that we didn't have the playing infrastructure. Absolutely. To deal yeah. with any of it. I know. That's right. So I could have half a page on the fact that Burberry does this and yeah. he might sneak goal side and he likes to move up yeah. there and, and then he can get you on the way back. So maybe hold you with a little bit. I could have all these ideas. Yeah. At the end of the day, he played AFL football. <laughs> anyway, we're really going off, off topic with football chats here, but it's just so interesting that we haven't seen each other and that year was so pivotal for yeah, both of us. For sure. And yet, you know, and I, I've spoken to guys like Max Waters, who's the captain of the club now, yeah. and he said that year was strangely um, cathartic. Like we had the best off field stuff that year. There was. There, <laughs> there, there actually was. Like yeah. I, 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 um, you know, because that whole that whole year, I, I I'd been at a different club and who did things very differently, mm. very differently. And but at that point in time, my mindset was that I know how things are done, yeah, and that's the only way they can be done. Yes, I was so narrow in my thinking mm, that absolutely. that that the way I've seen it done is all it can be done, and, and yeah. you can't move. And then I get to Q and Q were doing like these nights where you'd all dress up in that German uh, (laughs) stuff and then you do like this, this charity day and then you do a beyond the blue, beyond blue function. Mm. The club was so focused about the outside world. Yes. More, more than my previous club was. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that was like bizarre. Mm. We're here to play football. We're here to win games. You know, what, <laughs> right. what are we yeah. doing? Why are we ta- yeah, why, yeah. We're not here to save the whales. Why are we talking about all these other stuff? Yeah, yeah. But that is just a, that is just reminiscent of the mindset that I was in. Yeah. Now, yeah. you fast forward a few years later, and I just said to you before that we started, 
you know, if I was ever to go back into footy, I would love to go to a club mm. uh, like Q, like Hawthorne Amateurs. We're yeah. talking about Hawthorne Amateurs and how they have such a great program oh. off field with their mental health for sure stuff. Yeah, I think that sort of environment. Because I've realised that actually I'm not going to be an AFL coach. No, yeah, that's you're right. not going to get drafted. Um, let's I'm, I'm unfortunately, still- <laughs> unfortunately, um, you know, like that's right, you know, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, defensive wingers, mate. They're not. They're out. No, they're I not know. in vogue. They're not in vogue in the moment. You've got to go both ways. Um, but, um, but like, you so, remember my playing style, yeah. <laughs> but like those, the the best things about footy clubs, those connections, is is really what. Yeah. like I'm looking for now. Yeah, yeah, and But at that yeah. point in time, I think I was so narrow and so mm. cynical almost that yeah. couldn't see the point in any of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I must say, because we both went to the same school, but all boys schools, um, you can't change the circumstances of what happened to you when you were younger. No. You can only learn from it. Um, so I, what I'm going through now is just analyzing whether mm. that schooling, and I know you talk about the environment of um, coaching being so different and high performance, and we went to a high performing school. Um, I don't know if that's damaging or if it's actually been good for me. You know what I mean? Like mm. I'm, I'm still working through that and maybe I'll keep working through that of like, was it indoctrinating us to be a certain way or, or was it actually showing us that if you lead like this and take responsibility and be a man for others and that sort of thing, it's so... I don't know. I, there's no real question in this. I suppose it's, I'm just... It sounds like you're in my head, mate. Like, yes. Yeah, I, right? I, I, I'm still reconciling this yeah. as well. I, I think the school that we went to was fantastic yeah. in so many areas. Yeah. And we were blessed and privileged mm. and lucky... 100%. ...to go there. Yeah. Having said all of that... Um, for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's anyone's fault, I just think it might have just been the environment of the time. Yeah. Uh, I thought that school was a bit like kill or be killed. Oh, yeah. And either you you carry yourself a certain way mm. with confidence yes. or you're going to get crushed. Mm-hmm. And my recollection of schooling was that I bullied kids yeah. and I was bullied. Yes. Yes. And yeah. the kids that bullied me were bigger, stronger, uh, the sp- sporty types. I mean, yeah. I played sport too, but you know, I'm, I'm talking about just a different set mm. of guys. Yeah. And when I say bullying, I don't mean that it was vicious and, yeah. and yeah. really cruel. I mm. think it was just we're all we're all 18 year olds. <laughs> so like we're all like it's not it's not like we had the kind of maturity and emotional awareness mm. to know what our actions are having on others. Yeah, yeah. And by the same token, anyone that was a little bit different and outside the norm, oh, yeah. I picked on. Yes, And yes. the reason I picked on them was nothing to do with them. It was my own insecurity yeah. and fear mm. that what they were doing was being themselves mm. in a largely conformed environment. Yeah. And I thought that was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And and mm. it only takes a bit of years and yeah. struggle and to go through stuff that I realize that those kids were the heroes of oh, of school. Absolutely. Not not the first 18 guys, not the um not the ones who were the leads in the musicals or anything like that. Yeah. But it was the ones who could show up mm. in an environment that didn't get them. Yeah. And they probably didn't get it, mm. but they that's the school they went to because that's the where their parents send them and they continue to show up and be real. Yeah. Whew, I know. That, like that's, that's, cur- that's courage on a level absolutely. that I didn't have. No. And so I picked on them. Yeah. Um, so in answer to your question, I guess, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in, in circling back, Yeah. you know, I loved the experience I had at school and I think I went to an amazing school Yeah. and it taught me so much. Mm. And I also think that the experiences we have are the experiences we have and that you, you just, you can't, hope for anything other than the ones you lived through yeah and one way or another my experience there has shaped me Mm. into who i am today it might not have given me the acceleration in life that i was perhaps other people had Mm. in my year like i saw other kids not kids men i saw men go from leaving school to going boom 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 (laughs) and just working through their their 20s and getting and ticking off their goals, achievements, whether it be work, relationships, anything else. Yeah. And the whole time I'm scrambling. 
Mm. I'm like, shit, I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. Where, like, and, yes. and, and the, yes. whole, the, the whole time I'm going to myself, that person is working at that speed. That person's working at that speed. That person knows what they're doing. And that's mm. I am drowning here yeah. because I actually do not know. And I think I, at school, had a few personas. And by the end of it, I go, oh, shit, what? what what, who, who am, who am f- I? Yeah. yeah, who the fuck yeah. am I? Yeah, yeah. Am I confident? Am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? Mm. Do I am I obsessed about sport and nothing else? Yeah. Am I a bit creative? Am I sensitive? Am I this? Am I that? Oh, mate, it was yeah. like this whole, mm. you know, word cloud of yeah. different personalities mm. that I couldn't really pinpoint which one was. And if I can't do that, yeah. how on earth am I going to be able to map out any kind of future yeah. if I don't actually know who I am? Mm. So. The great relief that I have sitting here today yes. is that I do have a much firmer idea of, of what I am, who I am, and what mm. I love and what makes me happy. But but it took a bit of time getting there. And I don't think I'd have it any other way because, you know, those experiences shape me. Yeah. Um, and, and I've heard people who have had, you know, and this is the funny thing about all this. This is like... Could you imagine someone listening to this podcast and going, listen to these two <laughs> private schoolers? I know, that's, yeah. You know, are they honestly asking themselves the question about <laughs> their upbringing? Their yeah. parents sent them to this fucking excellent school yeah. that has great academic results mm. and great co curricular, great teachers, the best of the best, the yeah. whole lot. Yeah. Uh, facilities, world class swimming pools, theatre. That's right. And these two mm. are honestly like contemplating. Oh, would we have been happier somewhere else? Like one hundred percent. You know, you know. I, I guess I'm. I've learned that um, not to discount my own thoughts too much and yes, say that I, yeah, I can't feel that because I, what I feel is what I feel. Yeah. And I think it's not not credible or anything. But I say, but I but I am absolutely aware that mm. the opportunities that I was afforded are not afforded to everyone. Yeah. Um, and what I went through is what I went through, and yeah. it, you know there was. Yeah, it was traumatic, and I because I actually had to realize I didn't understand what trauma was. Yeah, you know, like I was mm. one of those people that thought that um, trauma was being in a really significant car crash or mm. uh, a particular event, and it's yes. not. It's yeah. it's a state of being and a state of mind that precipitates over a period of time. And yeah, and so I understood that a bit more. But mm. no, I, I wouldn't wouldn't change anything. Yeah, yeah, and I, I suppose I'm now thinking about AA um, and how you get so caught up in your own stuff. But hearing other people's experiences and their perspectives and how they're battling things and how they went about things that you went about so differently is the most powerful tool we have as yep. humans, right? No doubt. Um, and it does humble us while also, you know, teaching us gratitude, but also showing us a side of humanity that we're like, that's really confronting mm. and, and really sad and difficult. But that's humanity, right? Like the lay of the land, it's a complex, very difficult to navigate experience and for some people you know incredibly difficult others they look like they're you know kissed on the dick by a fairy you know and i think we've seen as you mentioned people like that who just seem like they've got everything going through sorted yeah but you know what's interesting about that is that uh for whatever reason i've been telling this story a bit lately in aa meetings Mm. um i remember when i first got sober i caught up with a guy that i went to school with and we caught up had a coffee uh, and uh, he was someone that I looked at from afar and thought, oh, he's got the perfect life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. Lots of money, uh, this, 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 that. And I thought, he's, he's, he's killing it. Like, he, he would never worry in the world. Turns mm. out he had lots of worries. Yeah. <laughs> like, he yeah. was worried about a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, he was not happy in his relationship. He was not happy with work. He was struggling with his own mental health. He was drinking too much. It was this whole gamut of problems. Yeah. And in that moment, I thought, oh, right. So, I'm not the only person that has problems. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, like, I was in this self-centered state. Yeah. Uh, no one would understand my problems. <laughs> no one's got my problems. That's right. You know, That's no, right. No, you couldn't. It's unfathomable yeah. what I'm going through. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out my problems were, oh, yeah, they weren't great, but they were they had solutions. Mm. They had solutions. And yeah. so, does, so did this guy's. But he yeah. was struggling. His externals looked amazing yeah but internally he was suffering yeah and uh no amount of great external stuff can Mm. can validate or give you ease and comfort Mm. from internal struggles yes it's just not possible yeah i I think i found the same thing when i I wrote these letters released them on facebook the first 
led to anxiety. Point is, people would reply to that, and I had people from all over the spectrum who I would not have expected, who looked like they had the best lives, going like, you know, I've been suicidal. Mm. Um, I I'm completely lost. I've got no idea what I'm doing. So day to day, that obviously put on a mask, and mm. you know, and that's the complexity of of. Um, of human beings like yes some people go through life and they're, they're chipper and all that but there are others who put on a, a facade that is if you sort of look deeper and i suppose it's when people open up and are vulnerable you realize you know um how much some people go through silently and invisibly and mm. as you said yeah it feels like the weight of the world's on your shoulders oh no I'm, i've got this anxiety disorder and i'm an alcoholic mm. and you do realize that Lots of people have very similar, obviously unique in their own ways, but mm. very similar issues to deal with. Mm. Um, well, so, know, some yeah. of the most common things that I've ever heard from people who come to meetings with me. Yeah. I can't believe there are so many people here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the end of part one of our chat with Pat Kennedy. Tune into part two on Monday where we delve deeper into Pat's journey from addiction to recovery to small business owner. Three things to take from this app. One, reach out to a person you see as noticeably struggling in an appropriate manner. Two, appearances can be deceiving, compassion and empathy before assumption and judgment. And three, there are thriving communities who can help you if you're struggling. If you or someone you know is struggling, or if this episode has triggered anything for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. At the end of the day, we're all just a work in progress. This is The Ebbs and the Flows.